Welcome to Understanding the Bible with Pastor Stephen, Season 2, Episode 20, The End Times, the Book of Daniel, Part 3. In the Book of Daniel, Part 1, we covered his visions, the statue, the four beasts, the ram, and the goat. In Part 2, we covered how to understand those visions, the revelations that he gave, how they're all the same, and prophecies are given multiple times to help us understand them. And then we covered the 70 weeks of Daniel. The importance of the 70 weeks of Daniel is that the first week of years, which is seven sevens, or 49 years, covered the rebuilding of Jerusalem. The next 69 weeks, or 69 sevens, is 483 years until Christ was crucified. And then the 70th week is the seven-year tribulation, where the Antichrist makes a covenant with many for seven years, and that's covered in the book of Revelations and Thessalonians, as well as Matthew, where Jesus Christ himself mentions it. So today we're going to cover chapters 10, 11, and 12. Let's jump into it. Chapter 10 is the, gives us an explanation of the angel that spoke to him. And this really gives us some insight, not so much on the end times, because he doesn't go into what the interpretations were, but it gives us some insight into what the purpose of angels are. Number one, they are messengers of God. Daniel chapter 10, verse 12 and 14 said, and this is the angel. Then he said unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. Then verse 14, Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days. So he's saying Daniel was crying out to God and wanted to understand things, and so God sent me, the angel, to explain to you, to help you to understand. The word angel literally means messenger. Then the second thing about angels is that they are actual warriors in God's heavenly host. So let's go back to verse 13, which you may have noticed I skipped. It says, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now I am come to make you understand. And then verse 20, he says, Then said he, Knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee? And now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia shall come. So he's explaining to Daniel, God sent me, and on the way I had to pass through enemy territory and fight against another angel, the kingdom, the prince of the kingdom of Persia, for 21 days, and I couldn't get through. So he's basically crossing through enemy lines of angelic armies. And Michael, the archangel, came to help him and held off these bad guys while this angel came through and came to Daniel to tell him these things. And then he's like, hey, you know where I came from. I have to go back and fight against this prince of Persia. And then he says, but don't worry, when I leave, the prince of Grecia shall come. So angels are literally warriors who are assigned different regions of the world. There's a lot of theology in here in chapter 10 about angels, which is really cool. But we're going to continue on because we're trying to study about the end times. Chapter 11 was their future. So this was Daniel being told what the future is going to be. And it's clearly our history. It was much more detailed than the visions he had. They gave specifics about the kingdoms. 
So I'll just breeze through it and you can read chapter 11 on your own. But verse two specifically mentions the kings of Persia. And we know from history, it was Cambius, Meridus, Darius, and King Xerxes. All right, then you have verse three and four was Alexander the Great and his divided kingdom. From verse 5 through verse 20, it mentions the different kings and their wars. So I'm just going to breeze through this really quick because I'm not too concerned with history. I'm more concerned about the future events for us, which is the end times, okay? Number one, these verses talk about Ptolemy, which was the son of Alexander's general who ruled Egypt. It tells us about Seleucus or Seleucus. I'm not sure how to say that. Uh, Seleucus I, who married the daughter of Ptolemy in verse 6. Then it explains to us another Ptolemy, Eugertes III, in verse 7. Verse 9 mentions what we know to be Seleucus Callinicus. And verse 10, Seleucus Seranus and Antiochus the Great. And then in verse 20, it mentions the extractor or the raiser of taxes, which we now know as Helidorus, the prime minister. So there's lots of history here that we can clearly point to that these things happened in chapter 11. But for Daniel, it was very explicit detail of what is going to happen and what wars and how the countries are going to be broken up. The other thing to remember about these prophecies is a lot of times they are double prophecies, as we've mentioned before. So double prophecies are very quickly a prophecy that is meant specifically for that time period or for that people like the Jews that is going to take place fairly soon in the history of the world, as well as it being a direct prophecy relating to the end of the world. So we've talked about this on the the last episode, how if you're standing on a hilltop and you're looking across to another hilltop and there's a third hilltop behind that, you may see something on the second hilltop superimposed over something that is happening on the third hilltop. And if we're talking prophecies and visions of the future with many years in between in these valleys between the hilltops, you could see how you might mistake in the second and third hilltop for being the same thing until generations later, somebody lives through it and realizes, oh, this already happened and yet it's still going to happen, the second and third hilltop. So that's just a quick metaphor to kind of explain a double prophecy where there's one prophecy, but of two different events that are yet to come. And then also chapter 11 really gets into the types. When we're talking Old Testament, uh, there are there are what is known as types of Christ in the Bible or types of the Antichrist, which is what we have here in chapter 11. A type is someone who has the characteristics of something yet to come in the future. And so you can clearly see that this person is acting out the things that are yet to happen in the future as well. So here's a real big example that a lot of um, theologians and pastors are very well aware of is that the first priest of the Jewish nation was, his name was Melchizedek and he was the first recognized official priest of the almighty God. Now he is called a type of Christ. Melchizedek was not Christ. He did not purge the Jews of their sins of the world. 
However, because of the sacrifices that he did to God on behalf of the people, he is called a type of Christ. He was the first priest. Well, Jesus Christ is the ultimate priest when he did that sacrifice for us to God the Father to pay for all of our sins. His blood on the cross, the shedding of his blood, was the ultimate priesthood sacrifice. Now, if you look at Hebrews 6, verse 20, it says, Even Jesus made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So you can see that the Bible clearly associates Jesus Christ with this man Melchizedek from the Old Testament. So that's what I mean when I say a type of something in the Bible. So Antiochus Epiphanes in chapter 11, verse 21 to 24, is a type of the Antichrist. And you'll see that when we read some of these verses out of chapter 11. Then we have verse 25 through 29, which clearly in our history was the Egyptian campaigns. And then verse 30 was the coming of the Roman ships against Syria. And then verse 31 to 35 is the persecution of the Jews. And then all the way through verse 45 was Antiochus, which is a type of the Antichrist. So Antiochus Epiphanes actually did some of the things that the Antichrist is going to do. So I'm going to read those verses to you. Daniel chapter 11, verse 36 through 39. And the king shall do according to his will, and he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak marvelous things against the god of gods, and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished, for that that is determined shall be done. Neither shall he regard the god of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any god, for he shall magnify himself above all. But in his estate shall he honor the god of forces, and a god whom his fathers knew not shall he honor with gold and silver, and with precious stones and pleasant things. Thus shall he do in the most strongholds with a strange god, whom he shall acknowledge and increase with glory, and he shall cause them to rule over many, and shall divide the land for gain." So we can see that Antiochus Epiphanes actually did these things. He exalted himself above God. He desecrated the temple. Uh, he prospered greatly. He, he basically worshipped war. All right, so the God of force, right, is what it said there in uh, verse 38. And he ruled over many and divided the land. Now, that is a type of Antichrist. Because the Antichrist is going to do those same things and desecrate the temple and worship a God whom his fathers knew not, because we know that the Antichrist is actually going to worship Satan. So you look at Daniel 12, verse 1, and it says, And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. All right, I'm going to pause here. That's verse 2. Has that happened yet? No. Therefore, we know that when he said at that time, referencing the previous chapter, that the previous chapter is not merely a prophecy of events that have happened, but they are a double prophecy of events that are yet to happen 
because we have not had a first resurrection of believers, right? Many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. So you have to read Revelations chapter 20. It doesn't say all of them shall awake. It may sound confusing to some people, but in context of the whole Bible, and I covered a lot of this on the last episode, the latter end of that refers to the second resurrection where the great white throne judgment happens and some are cast into the lake of fire and some receive everlasting life and go to heaven. So read verse two again. And many, not all of them, many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. The only time that many people are resurrected for everlasting life and everlasting contempt is in Revelations 20 at the great white throne judgment. Resurrection to hell and to heaven. But notice it says many, not all the dead. This is clearly the second resurrection. Those who are not included in this were resurrected in the first resurrection. So you have to read the whole chapter of Revelations 20 to find out about that first resurrection. Revelations 20, verse 1 through 5. If you're interested, go check that out. That's the first resurrection. But Daniel 12, 2 is talking about the second resurrection. That is why Daniel 12, 1 says, And at that time thy people shall be delivered every one that is found written in the book of life. It is not talking about a rapture. After this terrible time, everyone found written in the book of life will be delivered. And we know it's not talking about a rapture because of Revelations chapter 20. The whole Bible works together. And it's very, very important that you don't get confused when you're trying to read these prophecies of the end times. Daniel 12, 3. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, there stood other two, the one on this side of the bank of the river, and the other on that side of the bank of the river. And one said to the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, How long shall it be to the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever that it shall be for a time, times, and a half. That's one year, two years, and a half. Three and a half years. And when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. And I heard, but I understood not. Then said I, O my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many shall be purified and made white and tried. We're talking about death here. Martyrs made white and tried. But the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, that's the middle of the seven-year treaty where the Antichrist goes in, stops the sacrifices, and declares himself God in the temple. And the abomination that maketh desolate set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. 
Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the thousand three hundred and five and thirty days. All right, so this is pretty important here, and this is crucial if you really want to understand the time frames in the actual days. 1,260 days is a Hebrew 360-day year times three and a half. Verse 11 said, from the time that the sacrifice is taken away will be 1,290 days. That is 30 days longer than three and a half years. And then it says, blessed is he that waits and cometh to the 1,335 days. That's another 45 days. But go thou thy way till the end be, for thou shalt rest and stand in thy lot at the end of the days. At the end of the seven years, Jesus is coming back and he will capture Satan, if you read Revelations, and he will bind him for a thousand years. And Jesus talks about a feast, marriage feast of the lamb. And he talks about the birds of the air, all the birds of the earth coming to feast on the dead bodies of the kings and the armies of the world who Jesus defeats at the battle of Armageddon. So the end of the seven year tribulation is Jesus coming and destroying the antichrist and the armies. And I think there's a 30 day period where maybe it's a, a cleanup of all the dead bodies and the burying and trying to get life back to normal for those that are left. And then you have a 45 day period, which could be the feast days of Jesus being crowned King and uh, him resurrecting. If you read revelations 20, that first resurrection, him resurrecting those who were martyred during the seven years and giving them authority to judge the people that killed them and setting them up to be rulers around the world because the Bible says that those people who are martyred are going to be blessed and rule with the Lord for a thousand years. So they're going to be resurrected, have these new eternal bodies, and they're going to be reigning with Christ on the earth for a thousand years. So I think there is a very human explanation for this extra 30 and 45 days. So a total of 75 days. Um, now it could be, we don't know. It could be that this is a 75 day period after the battle of Armageddon. And then the thousand year reign of Christ starts after that, or it could be part of the thousand year reign of Christ. I don't know, but there's clearly a 30 day period and then another 45 day period. So it's going to be a time of happiness for us. It doesn't really matter what happens during that 75-day period. It's just very interesting that this is mentioned to several different places in the Bible that you will be blessed if you are able to come to that time period. So the conclusion of the book of Daniel. How do we know Daniel wrote the book in the 6th century? Well, he lived 620 to 538 BC approximately. His prophecies covered specific historical events from that period until about 33 AD, so about a 600-year period in his future. And, of course, his famous 70th week, which is the end of the world. Ezekiel, the 6th century prophet, mentioned Daniel three times in his book. Second thing, we know that everything he prophesied actually came to pass. He was accurate. The third thing is Jesus himself acknowledged Daniel as a prophet of the end times. Matthew 24, 15, Jesus said, When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Bam, there we go. 
Jesus affirmed that Daniel was a prophet, so we know it's true and we can trust him. So here's the stuff that we need to know about Daniel. The 70th week time frame is this. The 70th week is seven years. It's a seven-year tribulation period. Three and a half years is of the Antichrist coming to power with 10 kings in a one-world government. Three of them rise up. One of those becomes the Antichrist. Halfway through the seven-year treaty period, he desecrates the temple of the Jews, declares himself God, and the next three and a half years he makes war against the Jews and all believers of the one true God. At the end of that time period, Jesus Christ comes back and we have that 75-day period and the thousand-year reign of Christ. So here's why it's important. And this is the final, the final thing that I have for you today is we know these things are coming. The Bible predicts it. So three things we need to do. Get ourselves right with God. Witness to others before this stuff happens. The one world government, the mark of the beast, the hunting down of believers. And three, you need to prepare your house to be able to provide for your family during this time. Here's what that means. A lot of people will say, well, you need to prepare for the horrible times. You need to prepare for the end and they won't tell you what to do. I'm going to tell you what to do. All right. Number one, we know that believers in God, in Jesus Christ, are not going to be raptured. We will be persecuted, hunted down and killed by cops, military, whoever else in government is running this one world government. Right. Number two, we know that if we don't take the mark of the beast, we will not have any fiat currency to use to buy stuff. So you're going to need to know how to barter. You're going to need to have something of value to barter. So maybe silver or gold or crops or, or goats or sheep or chickens or eggs. You should have something. So you need to start preparing for that to be able to barter for what you need. You'll need to be able to eat for at least three and a half years, which means you need to have a garden. You need to know farmers to be able to barter for food for your family to survive. Next you might need to run and hide. So you might need to buy passage in an underground railroad of the future, not black slaves in America, but Christians around the world trying to help each other to get away from the government that is hunting you. So you might need to connect with believers in your area to be thinking about where to flee and what you could do if your name comes up on a list and they're coming to arrest you. Next thing you need to do is you need to be prepared to defend yourself or your loved ones from those who would turn you in. Think of the Jews in Nazi Germany. What did they do to the Jews? Well, they weren't allowed to have weapons, so they arrested them and they killed them. We have many pictures of them holding guns to the back of people's heads and shooting them. We have the mass graves. We have the gas chambers. We know all that happened in Nazi Germany. If you willingly die. That's one thing. I do not believe you should willingly allow your children to die. I think you should fight with everything that you have. Don't forget, some, some of your neighbors or your family may gladly turn you into the Gestapo. So what are you going to do when the SWAT team comes to your house? You need to think about those things. Me personally, I believe you should buy a gun and bullets, learn how to use it. And go out fighting. I mean, that's my personal preference. And that's between you and you and God. But I think if you have people relying on you for their life, if you don't want people to be tortured and killed, you should be willing to fight the evil. You run until you can't run. 
And then you put your back against a wall and you fight. So buy a gun and bullets, learn how to use it safely and have a plan to protect your children or other believers. That might mean have a place to hide, have a plan on where to go to eat and sleep, potentially even have a plan for traveling to Israel because of those verses that say that God will provide a place in the desert where they will be protected. These are things you need to think about as a believer in Jesus Christ. That's what I mean when I say prepare for the end times. Get yourself right with God, witness to others, and prepare to be able to eat and live and protect your family. Now, I, for one, am very excited about the end times because I know where I'm going. I know where my spirit belongs with God. I am a believer. I will be in heaven. And I pray for the protection of my family, my children, my wife, and my loved ones around the world. But I know that some of us will die. And that's okay. Because when we die, our suffering on earth is over and we'll be in heaven. But I am very excited about the ability to witness to others, to know what's going to happen, and to actually have a time frame once these things kick off. So I'm pretty excited about knowing the future. I hope you are too. If you have any questions, you can email me at angrypatriot42 at yahoo.com. I will respond personally. And I would greatly appreciate it if any of you find it in your heart to donate to my podcast. You can go to my page and just click on support this podcast with the little dollar sign. A dollar, five dollars, ten dollars a month. Uh, If you could afford that, that would be a great blessing to me. And I greatly appreciate those of you who make this podcast possible by your donations. Again, I will never sell my preaching. So if you don't want to donate, you don't have to. Now, next time we'll start diving into uh, the book of Revelation and some more of the end times events. Until next time, may God bless you all.